welcome to the 2045 podcast. My name is Sofia, and I am a teenager who's very interested in exponential technologies, specifically in biotechnology. This episode has a lot, if not everything, to do with biotechnology because it is part two of talking with Josiah Zayner, a biohacker, CEO and founder of The Odin, which is a company that sells genetic engineering kits online, so you can learn about biotechnology too, and so these tools are democratized, which is something that we talk about in this episode and in the previous one. So if you're probably not very familiar with the biohacking movement and you want to learn more, I would totally recommend to listen to the first episode. But if you just want to continue listening to this one, that's totally fine because you, you know, it's not like you need to listen to both. Uh, so that said, in this episode, we'll be talking about Josiah's project to grow chicken cells at home, which has to do, you know, with this part of the future food and how we're going to feed the billions of people in a sustainable way in the future and starting now. And also how to innovate doing all of these things, you know, how to do things differently and the mindsets that doing that involves, you know, just not taking ideas for granted, even if they've been done for years in the scientific community or in other places. We'll also dive into some of the regulations that biohacking and genetic engineering have today and probably what can be done to just make progress in the area of biotechnology. And finally, also some projects that Josiah created with machine learning, which of course has some very interesting applications in biotechnology. So I guess that's a little bit of an overview. I really hope that in this episode you get to learn something new, you get some new perspectives on what it means to engineer biology, what the future of biotechnology holds, and who knows, maybe you can get inspired to get started in the world of biotechnology, genetic engineering, synthetic biology, and life sciences as a whole. So let's get started. You know, I've lately been really inspired and interested by this idea of growing anything. I think that it's sort of the equivalent to what people say in the world of technology, like it's time to build. And we in biology, I guess we could say it's time to grow. And, you know, as you say, people in the future are probably going to look back to 2020 and say, whoa, Josiah Zayner, that guy created a coronavirus vaccine at home in 2020. Like, that's crazy. And now I want to focus on another of your projects, which also is, of course, related to biotechnology. And it is culturing chicken cells at home. Now, the interesting thing about this is that you didn't use CO2. And people had thought for probably decades, I don't know, years, that it was necessary. And you suddenly said, well, it's not. You can have successful results without it. So my question is not related to the technical aspect of it, because I'm not an expert, but rather, what is your thought process in order to do things differently, to innovate and disrupt? No, I mean, you know, so traditionally, science grow, scientists grow cells, human cells, animal cells, whatever, in an incubator, and they use CO2, and CO2 helps buffer the media. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I think... The important thing is when you're doing an experiment is to learn it from first principles or when you're doing anything. So like, I like to try 
eventually I'll go to an expert or talk to an expert um, and and get insight into stuff. But I like to start out just messing around with stuff on my own, right? Whatever it is. If it's like, you know, learning to play the violin or like cooking or whatever, I like to mess around with stuff on my own and fail because then I know what the limits are, right? So like, I know that I can fail on, on this, you know, working with human cells, I've learned what the limits are of working outside, you know, a lab that has a sterile hood and CO2 and all, all, all types of stuff like that, because I've, I've killed my cells a bunch of times, a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of times. And now I know. And uh, you, you don't really get that unless you're doing it by yourself and learning kind of from first first principle how it works. But when you're learning from first principle, it also allows you to question and test everything, right? Because you're just like, wait, why do people do things like that? Why do people do it that way? Yeah. Why don't they do it this way, right? This way seems a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And you could just ask those questions and you could try them. And, uh, you know, uh, a lot of times it, it, stuff doesn't work. I've tried a lot of crazy stuff, you know, like <laughs> growing stuff in all types of weird medias and like bread. a lot of it doesn't, <laughs> yeah, like a lot of it doesn't work. And like some of it does, but the thing is, is that like you get to test these things and science is very dogmatic. Um, people are doing things because other people did things, not because, you know, there's a good reason. And I think once you start questioning the dogma, um, it it puts you, again, it's like one of those things, like, like I was saying, like you have to be willing to do something that's different than everybody else. And if you're not willing to do something that's different than everybody else, then like, you're just going to get the same results, whether that be, you know, in life in art in anything. Um, and so I like to try to find that thing that's different. And don't get me wrong, there's a balance, right? Like you can't change everything. Like, you know, like there are certain limits to all these things, but like finding those things that uh, you can do differently and change are, that's, that's where the um, the innovation lie. That's where the, you know. Yeah, like it makes the most sense, right? Just having that first principles approach and asking why, 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 and why lots of times and not only following what people already know because even if it works, there may be a better way to do things. The thing is that, as you say, sometimes people including like myself sometimes we may be scared because we don't know if things are actually going to turn out well or if we're going to be criticized for doing things differently so it's it's interesting to get your perspective on that yeah for sure um and it's just like you know i tried growing chicken cells in, in culture and petri dishes and stuff for years and years and years probably like you know three or four years Um, and, uh, yeah, this was before it was even really big and there weren't, wasn't much information or protocol. So when I first started, it was just like winging it, you know, like I would just try whatever and (laughs) it always failed. Um, 
And then I started to, you know, figure out what failed and what didn't. And eventually, um, you know, I got a bunch of different protocols and tried a lot of different things out. And a lot of them, most of them didn't work. Um, And uh, what I use for culture now is like completely different than everything I've read or like isolating and propagating these cells. And it's using methods that people, you know, thought weren't possible. Like, you know, not growing them with without not growing them with CO2. Um, and, uh, it's, 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 it's taken a lot and it's probably not the best way. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, but at least you've tried. (laughs) It's probably not the best way, but like, damn, if, you know, like there is no other guides on the internet of how to grow, isolate and grow chicken cells, much less doing it in your own home, like, damn yeah. like that's just to me <laughs> i am I'm, I'm impressed by that i mean like i said it took me years and years and years to be able to figure that out and get to that place but like now it's to me it's it's such a feat and achievement and um i yeah you can do so much just sure. by like it takes it's hard it's really hard it's way harder than just doing what everybody else says and does. But like the, at the end, you know, it's, it's, it's so much more fulfilling. Number one, <laughs> just getting it to work on your own. And number two, like the, the contribution you can make by sharing it and making the information available, all your successes and all your failures. Like it's, Yeah, but you know, even though sometimes people are starting to notice the huge potential that biotechnology can have in everything, then you know that there are some huge ethical concerns around it, going from designer babies to biosecurity stuff. And I actually want to ask you about that. I don't want to be like, uh, that typical question, like, are, is it ethical to do it? Should we? But I actually want to ask you, how can we make biohacking more mainstream? How can we bring it to the hands of people in a safe way? Because in the end, we know that there are going to be risks. But I really want to know how we can mitigate those and how can we make biohacking happen? Yeah, you know, how do you make biohacking more mainstream? I think you do it by doing biohacking and you know sharing what you do. Uh, I, you know, I've spent years promoting and marketing and trying to make biohacking bigger and more mainstream and attract a larger audience. And what I've learned is that though there are certain things you can do, there's also this whole societal factor that um, you don't really have control over, that it, it follows its own um, agenda and timing and everything like that. Um, and there's not much you can really do about it, right? So like, if we think about like the computer revolution or something, and you think about how there was a bunch of companies that started making personal computers and started advertising and, you know, propagandizing the public that like personal computers were the future and people should use it. And you're, so you're talking like, you know, 20 companies spending 
who knows, untold millions or billions of dollars in, in today's money, uh, you know, getting people interested in, in buying personal computers. Um, you can't really do that on purpose. It's not something I, I can't go and get 20, convince 20 people to start 20 companies that eventually have enough money to advertise on a large scale. Like it's, it's not something that I have control over. Um, and so I've learned to kind of, um, do my part, you know, like try to promote biohacking in, in a positive way and, um, when I can, but also understand that, uh, Regardless, um, it might not even happen during my lifetime. Wow. And uh, I, I'm okay with that, you know? Like, it's, to me, I've, I never wanted to, like, be famous or, like, change the world. I just, I want to do cool stuff. I wanna, create I wanna, something beautiful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I want to create something beautiful and enjoy it, you know? And, yeah. like, you know, like I said, with the chicken cell stuff and stuff like that, like, there's nothing cooler than just like being proud of yourself for something you did. You're just like, wow, I'm proud of myself for that. Like, yeah. that's really cool. You know, like it's hard. It's for me personally, it's hard to impress myself, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> pretty, yeah, I imagine that. But... I'm pretty hard to impress. You know? <laughs> so when I impress myself, it's always nice. Yeah. But yeah, like I think I, you know, I don't think there's bad press. I don't think there's good press. I don't, I, I try not to worry about these things. I just try to, uh, yeah. Like, like I said, the best thing you can do is just live that life, you know, sure. biohack and promote, you know, tell people about it, do podcasts like, you know, you, you're doing. If you had the power to change anything in the political and legal aspect of biotechnology, if you told politicians and they listened and they changed it, what would it be? <laughs> I'm not very like a very, you know, regulatory savvy government control savvy person. I'm a very like I, you know, when I, I think of myself and, oh, you know, I'll give Walter Isaacson a shout out. He uh, wrote a book, The Code Breakers, which is coming out soon. Um, it, it's about Jennifer Dudna and her, uh, uh, you know, uh, dis yeah, discovering CRISPR in her lab and, and, and stuff like that. And um, I was talking to him because he wrote about me a little in the book and he he said you know you're, you're like puck he's like you uh always um you're always in like antagonizing people and and showing people how things could be done differently and better and, and pushing the boundaries so that uh you know things change but you know like puck isn't the protagonist he's not the hero he's not the main character or anything like that. And, um, you know, kind of like a, maybe a more modern reference if people <laughs> haven't read Shakespeare. <laughs> it's yeah. like Loki, you know. Like um, what? Loki, oh. uh, you know, like, uh, you know, like Thor and Loki. Um, oh, sure, yeah. Yeah, like Loki, he's kind of like a, a troublemaker. Um, 
but you know the trouble is sometimes for a reason and good does come of it um and so yeah that's kind of how i see myself in, in the whole scheme of things rather than like you know an odin or thor or somebody who is going to figure out how to pass judgment and regulate everybody um i just you know i'm not going to make a good decision on that i'm a troublemaker so <laughs> i leave that up to other people <laughs> all right bioethicists maybe <laughs> And talking about CRISPR, so I read your article that the one that says CRISPR is dead. It really caught my attention because it, CRISPR is one of the first things that I discovered in the biotech world, and it's just amazing to me. But probably there's too much hype around it. You know, Jennifer Duna and Emmanuel Charpentier. I don't know if I'm pronouncing her last name correctly, but um, those two women won the Nobel Prize for it this year. But what if it's just another genetic tool that does things more like in a cheaper and easier way? But do you think that there's a future for CRISPR? Oh, sure. People will use it, you know, until an another technology comes along or something. Um, but uh, I think the thing about CRISPR is it's not really... When I focus on these things, I like to think about like fundamental technologies, right? So something like, uh, you know, DNA sequencing or, or DNA synthesis, you know, for DNA synthesis, like the way we do DNA synthesis is so ungodly old. And even DNA, you know, like Sanger sequencing, you know, Sanger developed that. I don't, I don't know when, when was it like the seventies and like, You know, this technology is like 30, 40 years old. And those are like fundamental technologies, right? Like these technologies are, they stand the test of time and, and people use them and they're important. And uh, things like a CRISPR, you know, while it, 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 it's being used and I'm sure it will be used, it's not a technology that I think will necessarily stand the test of time because it's it's just a trick right it's just a trick to do gene editing and obviously it's not perfect right so there's going to be a better one that comes along eventually somebody's going to discover or make a, a better easier way to do gene editing and we'll all forget about CRISPR <laughs> um So to me, it's, it's realizing that it's just a trick, a trick that works well and that, you know, everybody uses, but it, it's still just a trick and not enough people investing in fundamental technologies or making that information available. You know, maybe these, you know, companies, like I said, like Ginkgo or other places have built these amazing fundamental technologies that, uh, um, they're just not telling anybody about, but like, you know, we still use the same, you know, you want to make DNA or something, people still use fucking DH5-alpha bacteria or something, right? <laughs> that has, yeah. like, one mutation in it, and it's still the same thing that people have been using for 40 years. Like, come yeah. on. Like, you're telling me we can't make anything better, better yeah. in 40 years? Same with, like, expressing proteins in bacteria, you know? Like, <laughs> I'm sure, don't get me wrong, some companies have their own custom strains, but, like, majority of people use, like, BL21 bacteria that just has like two mutations in it like yeah uh, and like 
you know, with gene therapy and stuff like that, you know, everybody uses the CMV promoter, um, early, you know, these DNA elements that like been around for 30, nobody's tried to make, or at least I've seen no use of synthetic stuff. Like there's so many areas in like the realm of fundamental technologies that nobody's working on because they're not exciting. Like nobody's going to write about how like Hmm. you made a, 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 a new synthetic promoter that makes gene therapy a thousand times more viable. Like nobody's going to write a story about that. You're not going to win a Nobel prize for that, but it'll affect, you know, fundamentally the course of gene therapy. Yeah. It's probably what we are missing to make these technologies like gene therapy more accessible economically maybe, but um, people aren't doing it. So I I hadn't thought about that actually like, um, improving the fund- the fundamentals, gene sequencing, gene um, synthesizing, and so on. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. Fundamental, you know, it's it's just like... And, you know, don't get me wrong, there are people and companies out there that are working on some of this stuff for sure. Um, it's just that uh, I think that a lot more could be done, right? Because if you look at, like... <sighs> any sort of like technological revolution is the fundamentals that have to be in place, right? It doesn't matter what it is. Like the fundamentals have to be there so that, uh, the, the technology is extremely useful to everybody. And there's, they don't really, you can't publish a paper on it. It really doesn't exist in, in synthetic biology, biotechnology, and it really needs to, I mean, even me, I blame myself also. You know, I <laughs> I haven't worked on a lot of this stuff, though I've thought yeah. a lot about it, but I haven't. Yeah, and you know, I don't know if this has to do with the fundamentals, but I also heard about a project that you were doing to replace agar with bread, and that really blew my mind. Like, I hadn't heard about anything alike before, and it sounded very intuitive and just very different. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have to understand, like, science wasn't built for people, right? So when you, when you, when you like, it's so funny because, like, you have like a, a cell phone or something like that and you could give like a cell phone to a little kid or like a monkey and they'll figure out how to use it in like five or ten minutes right because it's just like there's certain things that are intuitive about it maybe android i don't know about apple <laughs> no, i'm joking i don't know <laughs> um but like it was designed with the intent to be intuitive and useful and that's why like we can all use computers so amazingly. And even though majority of people have no idea how a computer works, no idea how any of it works, how the internet or anything works. Yeah. Right. It's just because people have built the technology around it being intuitive for people and, you know, biotechnology, genetic engineering is not that way. It's so not intuitive. You think about all the things, all the things, you know, like, Um, to get, get a little technical, you think about, uh, you know, when they, when people build gene, you know, like plasmids and put genes together and they use restriction enzymes and all. So like a restriction enzyme is an enzyme that they found in some organism that they know cuts DNA at specific things and companies then go out and find hundreds or thousands of these things. So people can cut DNA at specific places but not in all places, just at specific mm-hmm. places that these enzymes cut. So somebody went and documented and cataloged all these things. Now, that <laughs> seems like the most disturbing thing I've ever heard of, like 
this is really the best thing we could do is just like have a hundred different enzymes to try to put DNA together. Like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. And even with like BioBricks, they continue working with that principle of restriction enzymes, right? Yeah. It's, well, I mean, even by, I mean, nobody uses BioBricks. <laughs> well, <right>? yeah. Like, <laughs> it's like, that's true. I mean, I gem, but yeah. like, it's Nobody just... else in the world uses BioBricks. You get a plasmid from any company or any lab. There's like, you know, <laughs> nobody uses those restriction sites. So it's just like it's a, a failed. Um, the thing, the problem with things like BioBricks is if it doesn't have like, you know, a large penetration, if everybody's not using it, then like it doesn't work. And that's the problem. This is still like a bad fix. It's like a kludge. Like you imagine if like you had every time you wanted to run a different computer program or something, you had to buy this piece of hardware or software to make it work on your computer or something. Right. That's what it's like. Can you imagine that? Right. You want to run your Internet browser. You got to buy something for it to work. You want to run, you know, your Skype. You got to buy something for it to work or Microsoft Excel or Word, like, no, like computers are general, you know, they work under a lot of different circumstances. That was one of the major breakthroughs that people figured out, like, let's make computers generalized computing systems instead of having to have a different computer for every single program we want to run. And, and that's kind of where biology is right now. Like people are trying to develop programs for every single thing that they want to do and it's just, it's so ugly. I mean, to me, you know, I, I, even in something as simple as the logistical operations of DNA editing, like to me, it's ugly. It can be so much more beautiful. Like we can make it so much more simple, but nobody's working. You know, there's a lot of these things that just like. Yeah, it's just working on the principles, the basic technologies, but sometimes there aren't enough people working on it. But, you know, now to just wrap up, I want to ask you, two last questions and the first one has to do with the project that you did i believe it was in berkeley to reverse engineer people's dna from their picture that i like i don't know if i understand the technology well but if i do then it's totally mind-blowing yeah so i do a lot of art or like uh yeah where i, I like try to take a concept that I think is futuristic or something and implement it in some way in the real world so that it actually like kind of works. And, uh, you know, people have been taking DNA and recreating people's pictures and faces and stuff like that. And so I just thought like, can't we do the reverse? Like, can't we, uh, take somebody's face and picture and try to recreate the DNA from it. That, that's really weird and scary and crazy, you know, to think about that uh, with your picture, you know, one day somebody might be able to recreate your DNA. Uh, wow. <laughs> that sounds but, uh, amazing. That, that was kind of the idea. And there are some very easy, you know, obviously we don't know enough about DNA to make it a hundred percent, but there are some very easy things that you can figure out that we know to a large extent, especially in terms of like eye color, hair color, skin color. Um, you know, there are genes and, you know, single nucleotide polymorphisms in these genes that we can map a lot of this stuff to. Um, and, uh, it's interesting, right? For me, at least, 
um, to delve into ideas that are uh, are a little more futuristic. Yeah. We might not completely be able to implement them, but that doesn't mean we can't work on them. You know, I, I like to say that, like, if nobody's working on building a time machine, we're never going to have one, right? Sure. Like, huh. somebody's got to work on it or else you're never going to have one. Like, mm-hmm. never. I, I just... You got to work on crazy ideas. You got to do crazy things, interesting things, uh, different things. Um, even if you can't quite complete it yet, even if it's not quite possible to fully realize, um, because eventually it might be, it will be. Um, so yeah, I like to work on some projects like that. Yeah, and that idea of reverse engineering DNA with a person's picture sounds really great. But what I understand from what you're telling me is that the concept is there, but you probably haven't fully accomplished, because I understand that it can be really challenging, but have you maybe tried to do something like a basic version? That? Oh, yeah, no, no, like it was it was real. I built a device that would take your picture. You know, you walk into like a booth and it would like use computer vision to like, uh, you know, get your eye color, hair color, skin color, try to be able to tell, you know, use machine learning to try to tell if you were male or female or um, whatever. And, uh, you know, use these characteristics to uh, rudimentary, um, you know, guess different genetic traits about you. Um, wow. Yeah. Amazing. So it, it actually built a device and, and everything like that. Um, I, yeah, I, I don't, I don't like just I, ideas are bullshit. Um, ideas aren't worth anything. So, you know, like everybody, I have so many people who always come to me, pitch me, I, I got this idea for this thing. It's funny when people are like, I have this idea for this thing. And if it's like a glowing cannabis plant and if you make it I'll, I'll let you keep 50% of the profits and you're like wow. what? if I make it if I make it I'm keeping 100% of the profits like ideas are worthless and I think people don't understand that is that like and a lot of art biological art tends to be just that it's just an idea look I imagine this weird thing in the future and like this is what it would look like and it's like any you know Created. anybody anybody could think of spend enough time thinking and they'll come up with some crazy ass <laughs> thing it's like actually implementing that in some way that i think makes it real and significant and stuff like that um and uh, that's you know that's uh way more difficult but it, that's why it's so valuable and important right it's one of those things, again, people aren't willing to do it. And if you do the things people aren't willing to do, like, then it makes it significant. Right. So, yeah, if you have an idea, do it, because otherwise it's worthless. Like, I'm not going to do it for you. Right. And now joining these two concepts of creating something unconventional and actually creating it, actually making it happen and building it by yourself, Um, I remember watching this video in which you said that if we had more people working on something like a dragon or the cure of a disease or anything crazy that we may think of, we would have it. So what are some of the craziest ideas that you have for the future of biotech? 
I don't know. You know, like, uh, I, I don't know what necessarily, you know, it's, it's hard to imagine what the future will be. People, it, 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 and it's because, like, if you had somebody, you know, what computers would be like in the future, like, nobody would guess that we could have, like, a computer in our pocket that's connected to this, you know, internet that we can communicate with everybody instantaneously you know that nobody else that that like we have access to all the world's not like nobody would have guessed that stuff um for me i try to find inspiration you know in in science fiction or just thinking about things or or, or you know unconventional things you can find it's interesting because you can find inspiration in a lot of things if you just try to relate them to like biotechnology so other technologies or art or, or other things um I don't know what the future will be, but I know, you know, there'll definitely be genetically modified humans. Um, there'll definitely be a, a lot of genetically modified animals and organisms. And uh, that's going to be really cool. Um, uh, but I, I think the thing is, is that like, that's for other people to do and figure out. Like, I'm not here to create everything or do everything or whatever. Um, I'm just a single individual who's trying to make the technology accessible and available to people so they can make all the cool stuff, you know? And uh, I think that's what's the most important is that other people are going to be the ones who come up with these ideas and create all this cool stuff. Uh, it's too much pressure for, for it to be me. <laughs> Yeah, but it's cool that you're enabling more people to have hands on these sort of technologies because, for example, for me right now, schools are closed and we have no labs and it's just very different to learn about the theory behind CRISPR to actually having hands on CRISPR. And it's just amazing. Like, it also blows my mind how anyone in the world of course, taking into account their country's regulations, but they can do stuff at home. They can learn about biotechnology at home. So that's awesome. Yeah, no, science shouldn't just be an education thing. You know, genetic engineering shouldn't just be an education thing. It should also be a, a hobby. It should be something people just want to mess around with. <laughs> um, right? So that, like, it's okay to do smart things in your spare time that aren't related to, you know, school or <laughs> academia or anything like that. Like, uh, yeah, that's what I hope, you know, that people just want to, uh, you know, screw school and, uh, <laughs> and like, I, you know, I, school is great, but I also hate school because it's a very like systematized form of education. Yeah. And, uh, I think people should learn stuff on their own, figure stuff out on their own. That's what's really important. Yeah. So I guess that's the end of this episode. So thank you very much, Josiah, for answering all these questions. I know that they were quite a few, but I'm sure that a lot of people are going to gain some important new perspectives, unconventional perspectives on biotechnology, biohacking, and more. There are probably bioethicists listening to this episode, probably high school students or just curious people. So thanks. Yeah, no problem. It was great. 
Hey, so for you who are listening to this episode, thank you so much for being here. I hope you've learned something new. I hope you've gained some new perspectives on biotechnology, biohacking, the future of biotechnology, and more. Don't forget to check out the Odin's website. Like, this is not sponsored by the Odin at all, but I really just want to spread the idea of biohacking because I'm passionate about it. And I know that a lot of people could also be interested in it. As Josiah was mentioning at, you know, just a few seconds ago, it's probably gotta be a matter of culture. Like, it's gotta be part of our daily lives in the future, not only for education, not only for academia or the industry. I think that's it for this episode. It was really exciting to talk with Josiah. I hope you've enjoyed it too. Don't forget that we have two accounts, a Twitter and an Instagram one. You can find us there at 2045 Podcast. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye!